If you want to transport yourself to a place much more exotic or mysterious than New York City, you can most certainly achieve that goal through an expensive vacation. But another way to immerse yourself in a foreign land is through a good book. Read, read books, books, hold them in your hand, and you'll hippity hoppity clippity cloppity off to a different land. Good morning, I'm George Polarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're curling up with a book's theme. Glad you're with us. This past year saw the closing of at least a couple of independent booksellers in New York City, including the last one of its kind in the South Bronx. Books in the Hood went out of business just last month. But according to at least one industry insider, it's not all doom and gloom for small bookshops in today's digital age. Warren Tyker is the CEO of the American Booksellers Association. Warren, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Delighted to be here and delighted to try to help you out a bit. How many members belong to your organization right now? We represent about 1,600 member companies that do business in about 2,000 locations across the country. And contrary to what is some uh, popular perception about independent bookstores going away, in fact, uh, our numbers are slightly higher today than they were a year or two ago. Independent bookstores went through a period of decline from the mid-1990s through uh, the early part of about 2004-2005. That's leveled off. Uh, and in fact, uh, we're seeing evidence of uh, substantial strength in our market and feel uh, pretty good about the future. I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. I think a lot of people see gloom and doom for independent booksellers because of e-readers and online sales. Yeah, there is a lot of doom and gloom in the book business, but uh, I just spent uh, last weekend working at uh, Politics and Prose, which is a large independent store in uh, Washington, D.C., and anybody who spent five minutes in that store this past weekend uh, would understand uh, that that doom and gloom is badly, badly placed. Look, uh, our business is changing dramatically. E-books certainly are altering the landscape. Uh, Technology makes everything different, but there's still is nothing like a bricks-and-mortar store to browse, to discover new titles. And for all the quantum leaps forward in technology, uh, a store is the best place to do that. And there are millions and millions of readers uh, who uh, rely on bookstores as the place to discover books. One thing that online retailers can't do that brick-and-mortar stores can do is have a book signing. And some bookstores are now charging admission for author events to make additional revenue, right? Well, some are. uh, Certainly events are an important part of lots of bookstores' uh, program. You know, a bookstore is more than just a place to buy uh, books. Uh, It's a place for the community to get together, to hear uh, interesting and thought provoking conversations. And I think uh, lots of people use and think of bookstores as more of a community center than necessarily as a retail business. And certainly uh, stores that are reinventing themselves and figuring out how to be competitive in this uh, difficult uh, economic environment, uh, one way they're doing it by being heavily into the event business. Mm -hmm. And some are requiring that people buy the book of the author in the shop versus bringing their own book, which they're buying online at times. 
Well, some are. You know, one of the realities of our world is, is that everybody is different. Uh, the operative word in independent bookstore is independent, and people have uh, lots of different ways of approaching uh, their, their, their business. I do think it is fair to say that increasingly, though, uh, lots and lots of consumers understand that the showroom, if you will, that place where all those books are displayed, doesn't remain if you don't support it. And it just doesn't happen automatically. And the store can remain in business and provide that service, be in the event business, provide those kind of interesting, compelling programs. Uh, If every once in a while you patronize them and make a purchase there. Has the closing of Borders Books opened up the retail landscape for independent bookstores? Well, you know, certainly the closing of Borders was uh, bittersweet for uh, people in the book business, uh, you know. Tens of thousands of people lost their jobs, uh, and certainly uh, uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of consumers uh, lost a place to browse and discover books. But certainly in those markets where there was a border store close by, one of our members, clearly uh, some of those customers have uh, migrated uh, back or to uh, our member store. So selectively in markets across the country, certainly the shrinkage of the uh, footprint of where uh, books can be uh, discovered in a physical store has helped. Are independent bookstores doing better in certain neighborhoods of New York City than others? Well, you know, there has been, as you may know, a kind of revival of independent bookstores out in Brooklyn. There have been at least three or four new stores have opened in Brooklyn over the last uh, few years. But I think the New York market is, um, you know, always been hard uh, because uh, retail rents are much higher here than they are in most other parts of the country. But for sure, all of the kind of doom and gloom, as you said earlier, uh, we think is misplaced. And uh, readers uh, love stores where they can discover books that they did not know about. And, uh, you know, anybody who uh, patronizes a local independent bookstore knows that uh, you're going to find a place where there are people who know all about books, uh, have an extraordinary passion for books and for reading. And we think that uh, uh, we're here and we're going to we're going to hang in. I can't help but think of the movie You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, where the shop around the corner went up against the big book retailer. I'm familiar with the movie. Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah you know, it was a movie. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, I think if that movie were being made today, it might very well have a very different ending. I think that consumers do understand, as I say, why uh, supporting and shopping and independent businesses matters to their economy. All right, Oren, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Have a good day. Oren Tyker is the CEO of the American Booksellers Association. As Oren stressed, despite the uncertain outlook for independent bookstores, many are alive and thriving due to loyal customers, unique events, and a sense of community. One New York City bookstore is proof of that. Cityscape producer Morlene Chin visited Housing Works Bookstore and Cafe in Manhattan to talk with Adam Blackman, the director of store operations. New York City is full of independent bookstores, but Housing Works in particular is a unique place. Can you tell us why? Well, for one thing, we're we're a nonprofit. Uh, we're part of a much larger organization whose mission is to end the dual crises of homelessness and HIV and AIDS. And all profits go to Housing Works Inc. Exactly. This bookstore, our 12 thrift shops, our catering company, all exist as businesses that are sort of like an alternative development department within that nonprofit. So we're actually part of that larger organization. 
everything at our thrift shops and our bookstore here are donated. All the books, all the music and movies. The combination of donated merchandise and volunteer staffing helps us to keep our costs down and to provide to raise more profit for the cause. This is a really interesting space. Can you describe our physical surroundings? Absolutely. One of the main assets of the bookstore is this space. I don't know the exact architectural term for it, but the columns running down the middle of the space have these kind of cornices up there that people have brought architectural tours in to point out this unique feature. Um, It's kind of an old warehouse in in height and then library-like in feel around it, where we've got mahogany wood paneling, we've got a balcony that wraps all the way around. You've got two round staircases. Exactly, um, that lead up to this balcony, and then in the back you've got the cafe and all the cafe seating. The other piece of what we do is our events. Now, we we have a few different kinds of events. We have our public programming, and we have our private events. So renting out the space for a movie shoot or... Um, working in tandem with our catering company, we do a lot, host a lot of weddings, actually. So here at Housing Works, you can browse books, you can eat, you can drink, and then you can get married. <laughs> exactly. You can eat, drink, read, and be married. We've become a, a really like major destination for budgeted but nice weddings. We actually modified our store hours on the weekend so we wouldn't stop, we, we wouldn't keep closing early and uh, frustrating our regular retail customers in order to accommodate our private rental customers who want to be able to to work in tandem. What sort of books do you stock here at Housing Works? Pretty much um, all genres. We we get a ton of donations and though we have a very small paid staff, one of the things that we focus on is sorting through all those donations to really curate the stock um, and make sure each section is as we want it to be. One thing that we're fortunate to have is some amazing volunteers. Now that the age of the downloadable ebook is upon us, are independent bookstores safe? And what are your strategies for keeping a bookstore like this alive? We're, we're a place where people who still love books go. Um, and we are a place where people who didn't realize they still love books find themselves reloving books. And so continuing to focus on having good stock, broadening our events, working with our online sales, all of that is helping us ride into what the new era is. Thank you so much, Adam. All right. Thank you. That was Cityscape's Morlene Chin talking with Adam Blackman, the director of store operations for Housing Works Bookstore and Cafe in Manhattan. These are the books I love to read. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Boraki. A lot of people, myself included, have old books taking up shelf space at home and or in the office. A New York City-based nonprofit organization has a message for people like us. Don't toss those books in the trash. Dana Zachary is the executive director of the Book Donation Connection in Queens Village. She's with us this morning in the studio to talk about her group's efforts to save unwanted books from landfills and get them into the hands of people who could really use them. Dana, welcome to Cityscape. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. What does your organization do exactly? We take unwanted excess reading materials, mostly books, and we try to find new readers for them. It's very simple. That's um, There's a lot of books going to waste, and we don't want them to end up in landfills when they can be used. So we try to find new readers. How did this organization come about? 
We started about three years ago, and it really just started with this idea. And the idea was floating in my head for years and years. I was a teacher and a librarian, and I saw books going to waste. I worked in places where there were an excess of books and places that had nothing. But there was no one in the middle to connect those two kinds of groups. And so this idea was floating in my head, and it just worked out that a few years ago, the planets aligned and we could make this happen. And so from this tiny idea, we've, we actually do this thing. Who are among your primary donors? We have individual donors, but we're lucky enough to have local libraries also donate to us weekly. So we get in, we get in tons of materials. So you get all of the books, and then what do you do with them? Describe <laughs> the process, if then you will. Then they sort of fall on my head. Um, we take them, we sort them, and we look them over. And basically, then we just divvy them up among the current recipients we have, and we try and match our recipients to the kinds of books they want and send them out. So it's a, it's a quick in and out. Our goal is always to get the books in and out very quickly. And who are among your recipients? We have all kinds of recipients. We have schools and hospitals and homeless shelters and children's groups and elder care facilities. Really, anyone who wants books can get them from us, and we're always looking for new recipients. Are you looking for any kind of material in particular, or does it run the gamut? You'll take what you can get. Well, actually, we specialize in children's books because that's my background, so that's what I'm passionate about. But we do take everything. We just have a very limited capacity to take materials for grown-ups. We do specialize in children's. So when you say, Jenna, that you're looking through the books, what are you looking for when you're looking through them? Condition. Really just condition. We do not look for content. It's not what we do. We're anti-censorship. Um, that's up to the recipient to decide what's appropriate for them. But um, we look for condition, and we've gotten, it's a good thing we look, because we've gotten all kinds of things crossing our door. Such as? <laughs> oh, my goodness. We've gotten the off-color things popped into books. But recently, we found a book with a little hole cut out of it, and you, it makes you wonder what somebody was hiding in that book. It was clearly a tiny little hiding place. It was quite breathtaking. <laughs> so I go showing it around now. What do you do with the books that are in poor condition? We recycle. We are very committed to making sure that as little as possible ends up in a landfill. And we actually believe this is a big mission for us to try and convince people that sometimes books are loved to death, that sometimes they've passed their prime. And we always say we only give books to recipients that we would give to friends. And we've even made it more specific. We've decided to say that we would only give something we'd be comfortable leaving on our bedside table. So if something is in condition that's not great, then we say recycle it. Let it go on to a new life. And so you can take a hardcover book, take the pages out from inside, and then any paper recycling place will take the inside. Covers are a little harder. And paper recycle the entire thing. It's really important to make sure that as little ends up in the trash as we can make that happen. How many books would you say you get in on a monthly basis? Well, it can, it can really vary, but a busy month, we can get in as many as, I'd say, 3,000 books wow. in a very busy month. Um, but what's funny is if we were able to grow, we're I mean, because all nonprofits are in this situation, especially tiny little all-volunteer ones like us, we don't have the capacity to manage what we could get in. We have a commitment from a local library that we could get in 6,000 books a week if we could process them, and there's just no way right now. We're, we'll grow, we're hoping. 
so we can get in, we can be extremely busy. Since 2009, we've taken in over 40,000 books. Wow. And we've given away almost that number. And how many people on your team? (laughs) Pretty much me, full time. And then I have my wonderful board of directors. I brought two with me. And everybody pitches in. And I have wonderful volunteers, too. Do people deliver the books to you, or do you go out and collect the books? We started collecting. That was how we started, but it became too cumbersome. So now we open our doors twice a month for individuals to come. They have to make an appointment to come to our facility in Queens Village, and they can drop their donations. And then for our organizational donors, I generally go and pick up. You're all about the physical book, so I'm curious to ask you what you think about (laughs) e-readers. I actually, I am fond of e-readers. I don't have one myself yet. I'm a little bit scared of them. But the truth is, I think there's a place for all of it. I think as long as we're developing a love of reading itself, the format's not as important to me. And I love books, absolutely. But I think e-readers are wonderful. Connect people to reading and books the way they want to be connected, and you engender this joy throughout their life. And that's what we're all about. All right, Dana, as far as your organization, where can we find you online? www.bookdonationconnection.org. All one word. That's where you can find us. Dana, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Dana Zachary is the executive director of the Book Donation Connection. Once again, you'll find them online at bookdonationconnection.org. Crazy about books, crazy about books, crazy about all the stuff in the library. Yep, that's the place I want to be. You might be able to get away with dozing off while reading a book in the library, but spending the night there would be totally out of the question. That's where the library hotel comes in. The boutique hotel in Midtown Manhattan has a distinctive library theme, one that's especially fitting since the hotel's just a short walk from the main branch of the New York Public Library. I recently headed down there to, forgive the pun, check it out. My name is Adele Gutman, and I'm the Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Revenue for HK Hotels. And we right now are at the Library Hotel, which has a very unique theme when it comes to hotels in New York City. Tell us about that. The library is truly unique. It has 6,000 books organized throughout the hotel based on the Dewey Decimal System. So each of our 10 guest room floors represents one of the 10 classifications of knowledge of the Dewey Decimal System. Then each room on a floor has a unique collection of 25 to 100 books and also art based on a unique topic within that category. So if you're on the arts floor, the arts is 700s in the Dewey Decimal System. So on the seventh floor, if the elevator door is open, you'll see there's a light projection across the hallway that says the arts. And then one room is music, and one room is fashion design, and one room is architecture. Uh, Or if you go to the literature floor, you'll see one room has uh, mysteries, one room has plays, one room has fairy tales, and one room has erotic literature, which is a very popular room here. But basically, it means that every 
one can kind of customize their experience in the hotel. And you can find something that speaks to your heart at our hotel. And we think that that's really what boutique hotels are all about. I saw that you have a journalism room, so that would be my room for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I love the love room. The love room is our most popular room for honeymoons, anniversaries, birthdays, proposals, and it has 85 books all about how to make relationships last, how to make them more romantic, more meaningful, more uh, longer lasting. And we were, had the pleasure of having Dr. Ruth Hest, uh, Westheimer be the uh, honorary curator of the Love Room. You also have a great outdoor space <laughs> in that room. Yes, it is the one room in the hotel that has a private balcony overlooking Madison Avenue and the New York Public Library. Is that how the library hotel got its theme, because it's only a block or so away from the New York Public Library? Absolutely. When Henry Callen, uh, the owner of HK Hotels and the owner of the library, saw this particular building, which had been a vacant building for seven years prior, uh, when he saw the location just one block from the beautiful New York Public Library, clearly one of the most elegant buildings in the city, and possibly the world. He definitely knew that he wanted to make it the library hotel. And the architect and interior designer uh, of this hotel was uh, Stephen uh, Jacobs, and interior design was Andy Pepper. Anyway, when they were discussing among themselves, how will we make the library hotel you know, a living, breathing library, something that isn't old and stodgy, but something that our guests here would really be able to engage uh, with the books and, and the theme. And it was their son, Jordan Jacobs, who is a movie and television set designer that came up with the unique Dewey Decimal System concept. So we're endlessly grateful to him. There is a card catalog behind the front desk. <laughs> now, is that the real deal or just a facade? It is just a, a beautiful design feature uh, thought of by Andy Pepper, and uh, it, does, it, it, it does give us the, uh, the elegance of the old-fashioned library, but uh, no, unfortunately, no card catalogs in there. I read that the Online Computer Library Center owns the Dewey Decimal mm -hmm. System trademark, and they sued the library hotel <laughs> because of your use of the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, yes, it was very surprising that anyone should should mind it because we thought we were doing a great job promoting uh, the beauty of the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, and sure enough, at the in the end, we made a uh, a charitable contribution to uh, some reading programs for children. And uh, you know what? That was a great cause. We were glad to contribute to it. And everybody shook hands and is happy. And we're, we're very happy to give them credit for uh, the Dewey Decimal System concept, by all means. <laughs> I didn't even know that someone owned the Dewey Decimal System <laughs> trademark. I didn't even know Who it was knew? a trademark. <laughs> Who knew? But actually, it was one of the, it was one of the best uh, um, publicity things that ever happened to us. It really got the word out. And you know what? So many people wrote in and said, oh, we, we love the library for having that Dewey Decimal concept. So it helped get our, our name out there. So can't complain. <laughs> and, now, and, and also now the charities got to benefit as well. So it's good. Great. Adele, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. 
Adele Gutman is with HK Hotels and Hospitality, a family-owned and operated collection of small luxury hotels here in New York City, including the Library Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning's show is all about books. Most people don't think of the actual bookmaking process, but one center in Manhattan is dedicated to the intricacies of book binding, printing, and decorating. I talked with Sarah Nichols. She's the program manager at the Center for Book Arts. The Center for Book Arts, it's a nonprofit art center. We were founded in 1974. We were the first nonprofit organization devoted specifically to the art of the book. Who was your founder? Richard Minsky. He is a book artist and a bookbinder here in New York. And why did he found this place? He wanted there to be an organization that supported interesting work being made in books. He wanted to start an organization that would create a kind of community around bookmaking, educate people about bookmaking, um, provide resources for people who wanted to learn about bookmaking, and just support his own work and get his work and the work of other people like him out there in the world. So explain the art of bookmaking, if you will, for someone who doesn't understand or doesn't see a book as art. Well, it can involve a lot of things. You could think about it in terms of the craft of making a book, so the craft of bookbinding, the craft of printing. You can think about it in terms of using the book as an art medium, so telling your own story, illustrating a book, writing your own content and producing your own book yourself. You could think about it that way. You could think about it in terms of independent publishing. If you're a poet or a writer and you want to publish your own work yourself, that's part of what we do as well. Or you can think about books as raw material for art. Um, There's a lot of people who are members of the center who do things like altered books, um, carving into books, creating sculptures out of books, doing book installations. It can mean a lot of different kinds of things. So you can actually make your own book here? Yes, you can. You can absolutely. We teach classes on how to make books, and we rent studio space to artists who want to make their own books. How complicated of a process is it? It can be extremely complicated, or it can be extremely simple, depending on what you want to do. Talk to me about the simple, if you will. (laughs) Well, a simple example would be um, you can come in with photocopied pages or laser-printed pages, and bind it into a hardcover book in a day. We have a class specifically on that called DIY Bookbinding. What are these machines behind us here? These are Fander Cook proof presses. They are, um, we teach all of our letterpress classes on these machines. They are flatbed proofing presses that you can use to print movable type or woodcuts or, or anything that's type high. What brought you to the Center for Book Arts? I had a painting teacher who recommended that I take a class here, and so I took a bookbinding class right after they moved into the space, actually. And then from there, I started volunteering. And how long have you been here now? I've been here as an employee for nine years. What do you appreciate most about books and bookmaking? I like that it can bring lots of different kinds of people in. We get a really wide range of, of students and audience members. So I meet a lot of artists. I meet a lot of writers. I meet a lot of graphic designers, people who want to work with their hands, people who've never seen things like this before. Lots of different kinds of people are attracted to books. How do you feel about our digital age, the fact that people are reading books online, on e-readers? I think that it makes what we do um, more interesting to people, paradoxically, because as books are sort of less taken for granted, I guess, people are more interested in non-traditional ways of thinking about books. 
What other kinds of classes do you offer here? Oh, there's um, paper marbling classes. It's a, a way of, of decorating paper that's really kind of beautiful. We do um, calligraphy classes. We do manuscript illumination classes. Book restoration, if you want to fix your books. Woodcut and lino cut, different kinds of relief printmaking classes we do here. Intaglio, we have an intaglio press as well. So we do some simple like photopolymer dry point classes as well. How are your attendance rates, considering we live in this digital age? Um, our book binding one and letterpress one introductory classes are always um, full. I think that people um, are excited about opportunities to use their hands, even in the digital age, maybe especially so. You don't want to forget that you have a body, and you don't want to forget that the physical obje objects actually exist. If you had to refer to a book as the greatest work of art, which book would that be? <laughs> That's an impossible question. <laughs> um, I, um, I don't even like to think about books in terms of the greatest possible piece of art. I like discovering something that I didn't know about or discover, being surprised by something, and I don't think the greatest work of art really does that. Give me an example of something that surprised you. I got a present. It's actually a commercially produced book, but it's called Radioactive. I got a present for Christmas this year. It's a illustrated retelling of the life and times of Marie Curie. And it's a really, really beautiful book that the illustrator did in, um, it's that blue, cyanotypes. Yeah, that's what they're called. Cyanotypes. And um, some of the printings um, glow in the dark. That's my favorite part about it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful book. How creative do people get here when they're making books? Very creative. Very creative. We have a, um, an art artist residency program where we invite people come in, to come in and use the studios and um, take classes for a year. And I'm always surprised by the work that our artists and residents produce. You also have exhibits here, right? Yes, we do. We do have four exhibition cycles a year. Um, our next, next exhibition is going to open up on January 18th. And the main exhibition for that is going to be Fine and Dirty. It's a, a show of letterpress art. Okay, Sarah, anything else about books and bookmaking that we didn't talk about that you think we should? Books are alive, and, and they're still being produced, even now, by hand. And you can do it yourself right here. Yes, exactly. What's your website? Centerforbookarts.org. Sarah, thanks so much. You're welcome. Sarah Nichols is the program manager at the Center for Book Arts in Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember, for your listening pleasure, you'll find past editions of Cityscape at wfuv.org slash cityscape. And don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. My thanks to senior producer, Marlene Chin. I'm George Boldarki. Have a great weekend.